got an enviable resume, but hitting work difficulties? It's hard to be happy in life when we're unhappy in our careers. And those of us who constantly compete with ourselves to be better, whose pride and very identities are inextricably tied to achieving, feel it particularly bad when work stops going well. Who are we if we're failing to live up to our own expectations? If this scenario resonates with you, Happy High Achiever is here to help. Courtney Bryan, HHA's founder, started the company to provide support and resources for high-achieving employees who have hit significant professional obstacles, often for the first time. Interested? Check out happyhighachiever.com backslash upzones to learn more, join the newsletter, and access special Friends of the Pod rate on coaching packages. The show is also brought to you by Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for more than 48 years with the best selection of used books in the region. Our sponsors are Horizon Books and Happy High Achiever, and this is UpZones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. According to a study conducted last fall by the Seattle Women's Commission and the King County Bar Association's Housing Justice Project, over half of Seattle renters evicted last year, 2018, owed one month's rent or less. Many tenants who uh, ultimately were evicted wound up homeless. Um, you know, many of them uh, only kept their homes because they were able to stay with friends and family and didn't have any housing security. Uh, the study analyzed over a thousand evictions involving over 1,500 people in King County Superior Court. And uh, it should not surprise anyone that economic incentives seem to be the driving force in why many of these evictions were issued in the first place. Worth thinking about as we undergo the second of what seemed to likely to be three major snowstorms in the region. Where would you be? right now, if you were evicted from your home in this weather where we can't even get around. I can't get out. I can't dig out my car right now here on Sunday morning. Can you? If you listen to the show enough, you know how much I care about this issue and you know that I'm of the approach that uh, there's a legislative fix or 10 in the offing that I think will drive a better outcome for our city as we go through another winter and as we go through an unending wave of economic development that is increasing housing costs in this city. Just this past week, executives from a number of tech companies, including all the usual suspects you've heard of, Starbucks, Alaska, Airlines, even Convoy Rail Networks, the Mariners, um, Amazon, Microsoft, you name it, wrote a letter to Jay Inslee supporting proposed legislation that has been submitted by Patty Cooterer from Bellevue and Nicole Macri from right here in Seattle as, and I'm quoting these tech giants, substantial and low cost steps toward addressing our housing crisis. We have an opportunity in the case of that legislation to make it a little bit easier for folks living with economic uncertainty and frankly, a little bit harder for folks who just want to get a couple extra thousand bucks a year um, to push people out into the, into the street. And uh, I'm actually, a, in many cases, a free market guy. I don't want to see 
it becomes so burdensome to rent that that in its own way becomes a problem here in the city. But I do not think we are anywhere near the midpoint of that particular problem. Right now, it is far too easy to push someone out onto the street. Look outside. Imagine what it might be like to live, to be forced out onto the street right now. It's far too easy to do so. So I urge all of my listeners to uh, call Representative Macri in particular and let her know that you support her proposal to reform the evictions process in the state and find out what else you can do to support it. Our guest, Marcellus Turner, heads up the Seattle Public Library. That's fucking awesome. Um, you know, I, I kind of expected someone very serious and very um, scholarly, and he, and he is both serious and scholarly, but we had a great conversation, and he, he gave me a uh, little heat because I accidentally placed him as from Missouri, uh, not Mississippi, <laughs> and he gave me crap about it, the, the, the whole interview. Um, yeah, just really fun to talk to, and he's got a very interesting perspective on the role of the library as things change. I don't think, as someone who's only been here, I believe, seven years himself, I don't think that he's necessarily in that camp of folks who um, are trying to resist change, but rather he's trying to uh, ride the wave so that everyone, um, meek and strong, gets the support they need from the civic infrastructure. How long have you been here? Uh, this time, seven years. Seven and a half. I moved here in June of 2011, or July of 2011. And um, been here ever since. And yeah. you're, you're, um, you were here once before for like a pretty long time. Oh, uh, not a long time, but a long time ago. Oh, okay. I lived in the Pacific Northwest, and I was in Puyallup, Tacoma area. Back in 97, I think. I think it was 97, and I left in 2000. So and you were doing library stuff then, too. I was, I've been doing librarian. If I, had, if I had stayed in my very first job as a librarian, I would have retired last August after 30 years. So wow. I've been in it a long time. Um, so. so you're sort of a, 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 a travel, a journeyman library maestro i am well maestro is a questionable point but yes i do travel um my works and my interest in this field have just changed and as it has changed i've looked for other places to live it yeah so you you moved around a bunch but i heard a little rumor about you marcellus which is Mm -hmm. that you were once uh, child labor (laughs) (laughs) you were working in a pretty young age huh? i did start working in libraries at a very young age uh in the fourth grade actually in my elementary school each of ours the school had a had a policy that once you reach fourth grade you had to work in one of the offices of the school where where was this this was in uh utica mississippi and the school was mixon elementary and my first assignment was in the fourth grade to the library. And I did all of the things that was 
a library and type work then. I cut out snowflakes and leaves for the bulletin boards. <laughs> the decorations. I, yes, I did the decorations <laughs> and the snowflakes and I checked out, I did the stamp with the date due and I also filed all of the red books. I remember that that's the section I had, all of the red, red. books, but they were the autobiographies. Okay. So, okay. Uh, they were bound by some publisher and it was a person's history made for elementary schools. So they had them all in the same binding and covering. What was it? Do, do, do any stand out? Was there a particular no, story? The red books. So that's, that's the, the only thing that stands out. Just a sea of red. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was probably the width of a regular shelf and maybe six shelves high, but that's all I remember about mm -hmm. it. Maybe the books were six inches to eight inches tall and an inch wide. And I remember the paper was some of that old brittle paper, not brittle, but old, uh, um, construction type paper great publishing great binding but that's all I remember about it I think the writing the lettering was black but I that's all I remember mm -hmm. I remember the library mm -hmm. so typical school and did you have a do you remember the librarian of course I remember the librarian Clara Higgins oh, I grew up her name I do I grew up on a community college campus and I was surrounded by librarians. The librarian of my elementary school lived on campus, mm -hmm. and so did the librarian for the high school and the librarian for the community college. So I was surrounded by librarians at an early age, but there is no connection to anything other than they were my neighbors, not the work that they did, but they were my neighbors. Did you did you live on a, on a college campus because of something your parents did? My parents worked at the community college. Okay. Yes. Professors? No, just... Um, they would kill me if they heard me say just. They were uh, worked in uh, some of the offices of the building, the registrar's office and the administration. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's great. And, they were, and so you were just around learning and books. And I was and sports. Um, my father was a referee for college basket for high school and some college basketball. So I was around sports all my life. What do you play? I did not play. Oh, I did I, not I, play. You want to know something? That you, you can see me in all five foot six glory. I was a, a point guard for my basketball team. Oh. No, I didn't have the height or the skills to go play in college, but at least in high school. Yeah. Well, you know, the, some of the best point guards, I remember them from um, high school because I actually was the statistician for the women's basketball mm -hmm, team. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of our shorter shorter members were very good very point good. guards. Very I was good a stats for the varsity when I was JV. <clears throat> oh, okay. I would stick around and do it and just keep a point rebound assist. <laughs> yes. Uh <-huh>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's work. And then the call, I had to call into the paper every after every game mm -hmm. and give them the scores and the, everything. So, yeah. Those are the days. I you did just, enjoy you it. You could just watch a game and just love it for the game. And, and, and I still do. And to this day, I love women's basketball. And I grew up on Pet Summit and the University of Tennessee. Uh -huh. Lady Volunteers. I went to college there. So it was really great. That's great. Yeah. My, my father was a, um, a women's Division three women's basketball coach for Briarcliff College in ah. Connecticut or upstate New York. Right? Mm -hmm. For He did it for about five years. It wasn't. He, he's always had a, a shirt and tie job, and mm -hmm. he just, I think with my siblings kind of coming through high school and, and both played ball, and I played ball, mm -hmm. my brother played in college, so I just think it became a big part of his life, and Briarcliff needed a coach, and they hired him to do it for about five years. I understand. My father coached at the high school level and the junior high level, so... It gets in your blood. It does. You, just, you can't shake it. And then I think his kids got a little older and then his interests changed because that's how that works, right? That's how it works. So. Yeah. But it was good. It was good. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So you, okay, so then you left Missouri. 
Mississippi. Mississippi. I did leave Missouri totally. No, <laughs> never went there. <laughs> no. the, the episode where Ian exposes his ignorance of the middle of the country. No, no. Mississippi. I, I, I love it. And so you left Mississippi and you, um, presumably went off to school. And, I did. I, well, I went off to grad school. I left Mississippi to go to grad school. I did do my undergraduate in Mississippi and um, went off to grad school and did the prerequisite years to get a degree in Started out in speech pathology, but ended up in uh, library science and got that degree. And that has taken me everywhere. That job has taken me absolutely everywhere. It sounds like it. And I, I just, what is the moment when you say libraries? Like, what is the, and I know that everyone has a different thing that stirs their soul. I love spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. I kid you not. I love doing a good Excel spreadsheet because there's something about the beauty of an, an equation. And, but what is that moment for you where you say, libraries? So my moment is a little different because I started out in an academic library. Well, I guess if you count elementary school, I started out <laughs> in an elementary school. But I started out as an academic librarian, and I was library instruction and teaching people how to use the library and seeing college kids come in with no true clue about how to use a library, how to write a research paper, or any of that. And how deep the pool of knowledge is. Right? So true, so true, and how they had planned to use just one source or that type of thing. And then really um, connecting with them such that they would come back and ask for me. It wasn't that I was um, one of the best librarians on staff, but that I took the time with them and um, helped them find the resources that I said, you know, I really like doing this. Mm -hmm. I really do. So that's really when it clicked for me, um, mm -hmm. when I was making that connection with the students mm -hmm. and, and doing that work. And I think one of the more telling things was in one of my previous jobs, I was um, working the information desk and didn't happen to notice this customer standing nearby as I interacted with another, with one of the students. And a week later, I got a letter from the provost who said, I don't think we've met, but I observed you helping a student yesterday and or whatever day it was. And she was quite complimentary of my customer service skills. Mm -hmm. And that really triggered it for me, too, because it made me realize I was in the right field as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's something about that customer service piece. I We've talked earlier when mm -hmm. we were getting ready to, to sign up here about the differences. I reveal too much. Yeah, no, yes. no, no, nothing I'll, nothing I'll hold against you. It, there's cultural differences. And I, I don't mean that in, in, a, in like an ethnic way or something, mm -hmm. but more like more regional maybe, mm -hmm. where there's parts of the country where you just kind of have to do that. And mm -hmm. I think the southeast of this country is a very big mm -hmm. uh, part of the culture. It's like you just sort of treat your customers well. Mm-hmm. I think, surprisingly, in the Northeast, which is my background, it's it's not as bad as you might think. There's mm -hmm. a real sense of, like, I would say growing up in New York, growing up in New York like I did, um, I think people know that if you don't treat your customer right, there's 10 bars right down the road that they can go to instead, right? So mm -hmm. it's a little different, but it's the same. And I wonder what you think about Seattle, because it's a different vibe, I think, here. Sure. Well, certainly coming from Mississippi, um, culture and respect breed a lot into you. But I think being here in Seattle gives you a chance to see how customer service plays out in this particular culture. And I think that we step up to the plate, we as Seattleites, if you will, if they would allow me to join in that collective we. We step up to the plate in being very receptive and helpful to the person who comes in and needs assistance. We are happy to 
offer assistance, give directions. I even find myself getting into it. And I'm the worst. I'm the most geographically challenged person in the world. And I find myself seeing people on a corner and looking at a phone and trying to figure out where they should go. And I offer my assistance to help. So I like that about Seattle. Uh, We're very open to helping someone. Mm -hmm. And it's a different type of culture from where I came from and I would imagine from Missouri since that's where you <laughs> you have me from but oh, in geez. Mississippi I will tell you that it is a little different no I'm just no that's good uh, having a good one with you makes sense and so okay so you you know you head out and you're now you're now you're in it and you're bouncing around if I if I remember correctly you had mentioned that you've been to quite a few places what's your favorite uh, for work or for visiting? I mean, for work. For work. So, that you live so, for a while. So, you know, I try to choose my work based on the city that I will live in because I believe that um, you're going to spend a good portion of your time at work, but the majority of that time you're going to be in that city and you should really love the city you live in. And in fact, I was speaking to a group last Saturday and they asked, how do you keep a work-life balance? And I said, the first key to have a great work-life balance is doing it in a city you want to live in. Because if you hate your city, you're going to stay in your apartment the whole time yeah. or wherever you live. So I have lived in some great places, and each one of them has been great. Living on the East Coast in Atlantic City, um, it was just really exciting to live in a casino town. What's it like to be a librarian in a casino town? You shelve a lot of books on how to win at gambling. Mm-hmm. You shelve mm-hmm. a lot of books <laughs> at how to win at gambling. You get calls from the casino saying, we found some of your books here at the, li- <laughs> at the casino. Um, you find that a lot of your staff have worked in the casinos and uh-huh. realize they don't want to do that anymore. Right, right. You find that um, I lived on the boardwalk mm-hmm. in Atlantic City. And you find that you have a lot of people who want to visit. Mm -hmm. Um, And you find that you can lose your money very quickly in Atlantic City. Uh, But it's good. You ever get any, just what's this just strangest patron you ever got in the library? I would imagine there's some. You know, I don't view our patrons as strange as much as I view how they interact or what, what goes forward from there. And I have to say that one of the strangest interactions I had with a patron, both of them, I'll tell two quickly, both of them occurred in Tacoma, at Tacoma Public Library. So not Atlantic City. Not Atlantic City, but two of them occurred in Tacoma Public Library. And the first one, I was new to Tacoma and the Pacific Northwest, and I had a patron who chose to engage with me about Luke Fisk, Mm -hmm. and I had never heard of it. I'm (laughs) from Mississippi. If it's not fried and catfish, I don't really know what it is. So he proceeded to tell me about it. And I know that having worked on the floor of libraries for many years, that patrons really like sharing with you. So as he realized, I really didn't know what Luke Fisk was and um, that I had lots of questions. Something along the way said, you should stop asking him about this because the way he's describing it, it doesn't sound like you will enjoy it. And I've had my fair share of patrons bringing me dishes, and I did not want to have to deal with that. So until I truly knew what it was. So that was one encounter. And then I did had he a, bring it? He did not bring okay. it. Okay. But then um, in that same job, I had a person bring me two 64-ounce vats of uh, Napa Valley chili. For um, it's a chili that is I don't know if it's Napa Valley I can't remember the name of it but it's a chili made in the Tacoma region mm-hmm. 
and he brought me two. The Chicola region. Yes. And he brought me two vats of it because he was very appreciative of the work that I did for him. Not a cookie, not a uh, Starbucks yeah. gift card, two 64 cans of Napa Valley chili or whatever it was. Is that so, made with wine? I did not try it. <laughs> and and it, 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 it must not be Napa Valley because it's, it's not Napa Valley. It's something in Tacoma. I don't okay. recall what the chili factory okay, is called, okay, but it's something okay. in Tacoma. Yeah. Napa Valley sounded like it should be chili, California. but it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Tacoma. Yeah. Um, so he brought you 128 ounces of chili, yes. and you just you gave that away. Of course. Yeah. Of course. We can't take gifts. <laughs> oh, we take really? the, we'll take the occasional cookie or something like that, but we don't or take too evidence. many gifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't take, I don't take too many gifts. I'm, I'm very appreciative of just doing my job. Well, that's, yeah. I've heard very similar things about you from the reviews and the feedback mm. that we get. How does somebody become head librarian of so, a city and then specifically Seattle. Sure. So most job opportunities for the chief librarian or whatever the title may be, executive director, is normally for a city job as a national search. The board or the governing body of the organization determines that they need to find a new leader for the organization. And like most industry, there are headhunters who reach out to you. So you hear about jobs as a network and you hear about the jobs that are available and uh, through a process of application, confidential up to a certain point, you have the opportunity to apply, learn more about the job, and then you're brought in for interviews. And that's the same pattern that was followed here. There was a confidential process by which we all applied for the job. They uh, bring you in for an interview, and then if you pass that interview, you're brought in for a second interview. And that second interview is where you have a chance to meet the staff and the public and talk to them about mm -hmm. uh, some of the work. And through some process, the board makes a decision as to whether they would like to select you or not or someone else or go back out because they didn't find anyone that they felt would be good for their work. There must be some. And I know, and anyone who listens to the show knows I'm I'm not a cynic about politics, even though it can <laughs> can tempt, certainly tempt me sometimes. But there must be some what I would call small p politics to that role, right? There must be, you know, uh, someone's got an agenda, or you know, th th this this uh, governor has got you know an it's initiative they want, and you did that initiative back in mm -hmm. the. I mean, did you encounter anything like that when you were coming through the process? You know, the the beauty of libraries is that libraries are so much more emotional than people realize. Mm. People come in and they will have memories of when their parents brought them there, of where they used it when they were a kid, or some librarian that they remember the name of, for me, Mrs. Higgins. Um, but that tends to be what you encounter more than the politics of it. Now, that will show itself in the sense of, oh, we're going to reimagine this location or we're going to move this library or build a new one. That's where you get the politics of mm -hmm. it. On the whole, people will love us and love who we do, which is one of the things that I really like about this particular job here in Seattle is that our public really loves our product. And when I say our product, I'm talking about they love the collections that we have. They love the staff that work there. They love our buildings. We buildings have some beautiful amazing. buildings. Yeah. So altogether, that makes a package mm -hmm. or a product. And mm -hmm. they love the product here in Seattle. And that's one of the best things about this job is that you're working in a city where people really love your product. I'm sure there are libraries where as much as many of their their um, constituents and residents like the city and like the library, um, 
it's aspects of the library that they like. They like the building, but they don't like the staff. They like the collection, but they don't like this particular book in the collection. So, And what I like about here at Seattle is, and I say this all of the time, which is the beauty of a great library, is we have something to offend everyone. <laughs> so if you have something to offend everyone, you're a pretty good library. Yeah, I know there were some folks uh, who got pretty offended by that Harry Potter collection yes. for a while. <laughs> there are some who have um, discernible taste. Yeah, let's call it that. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, you mentioned something just now that I wanted to circle back to, which is the, we're going to reimagine this, or we're going to move this, or mm -hmm. we're going to serve this part of the community. That must be a conversation that's gaining some velocity as the city, I'll say very neutrally, it, more people are coming. Mm -hmm. The income and demographics are changing. Mm -hmm. You know, less less charitably, there's ta there's a you know the, the concept of gentrification. How does that impact the, you know, again, back to the kind of a more uh, political sense, how does that impact what, what you guys are doing? You know, it's really a component of the work that we do, and um, I'll share two points about that. One of the great things about this job and being in the position that I am in, which is the chief librarian, is that I'm a librarian, but in addition to being a librarian, I get to be a budget analyst on some days mm -hmm. when I'm dealing with the budget. I get a chance to be a collection development librarian when I'm having to defend some practices or some item that we have in our collection that someone feels we shouldn't. I have to defend the works of the library and what we do. And then there are days when I get to be a air quote architect uh, mm -hmm. because I get a chance to talk about whether our buildings are living up to what this new population and these new users need when they come into our city. And so that's always a good thing. We have this, um, everyone has this idea about us that we are very much technologically advanced, but I can go into any one of our neighborhoods and notice in one of our libraries the dependent use on our Wi-Fi or the dependent use on our computers. So um, you can say that, well, maybe in the next iteration, we don't need as many computers. We may not need as many computers, but we need to provide access for that person who walks in with their own device. Mm -hmm. So um, getting into our buildings, we're trying to make them more flexible so that they can adapt to the ways that the public uses us. We're trying to um, increase that space so that it has that opportunity to provide civic and community engagement. We're stepping, libraries are really stepping into that space of equity and what we're doing to ensure that everyone has an equal shot at being and being the best of who they wish to be. And by doing that, we're having to adapt our spaces to accommodate large groups to come in and learn uh, or engage with each other. We're having to step into that space where self-directed learning is going to occur. So our spaces have really served us well, but we also are recognizing that People use us differently from how they used to use what's us. A, what's a major, like, what would be the single biggest difference that you can point to? I think our single biggest difference is that people, in especially in a city like Seattle, where um, spaces of high premium demand and there's a cost associated with most things, we're stepping in that space to provide space, space and place. Mm. We're where people come to gather, to see friends, to connect. We have families that come in and and. Um, enjoy our services as a family, not the daughter goes one way and the kid goes this way and the mother goes this way. They all come to engage together. So mm -hmm. uh, building spaces that families can use together is good for us. You know, th there's so much talk about the public square. Mm -hmm. One of the 
and this gets to like Facebook, right, or mm -hmm. social media generally, I won't single Facebook out, but this idea that we're trying to reproduce a simulacrum of a public square and it's not working mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you're not having this mm -hmm. physical three-dimensional, you know, bl blood, sweat, and tears space. And uh, I, I imagine that while many are perfectly happy in their homes, there are many who want that public space to be in that space and have a conversation about politics or have a conversation about the weather or whatever it is. And that's the beauty of the library. Um, I think we have two traits that people really love about us. The first is that we're, I guess there are three, we're the probably the last and most democratic institution that there is uh, for engagement. The second thing is that we're one of the most trusted agencies out there. People believe in libraries and trust that we have their best interest at heart, and we do. And then the third thing is that we're the most painfully polite profession there is. <laughs> and so when you bring all three of those together, why can't you come to the library and expect that to be a public square where you have the opportunity to share without fear that your views will not be accepted? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, we did a slam, a poetry slam. I come out of the poetry slam scene. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my way into a lot of this. You're and... too young to be a member of the poetry slam group. Poetry <laughs> slams were really big when I was young. Well, they're they're <laughs> still big now. I mean, well, that is good. Maybe to hear. even making a comeback. But uh, uh, I will say that uh, one of the best shows we ever did was at the main. The Central oh, wonderful. Library. Wonderful. We did it in that, you know, I don't remember the room name, but it's up on the second floor there, and it's in, it's kind of an, an auditorium space in the back there, mm -hmm. and it was just a, a great show, and the community came, and it was 90-year-old moms, and it was 16-year-old, you know, teenagers, mm -hmm. and just every, everyone in between. You know, we do some great programming, and I can imagine that had great attendance and really real excitement and deep interest, because... Everyone can, this is probably offensive to those who are real poets, but, um, or true poets, but, no such thing or who has made a poet as a professional poet. Yeah. There we go. Made a living as a poet. <laughs> Let's do it that way. But everyone can express themselves, and that expression um, can come through two or three lines of, of phrases looped together or some litany of work. And then if you look back and read it, this essay that they just wrote about life is a poetic moment mm -hmm. to share. So um, I'm more of the rhyming poetry type, but there are some some good ones out there at that too. I agree. I agree. What um, What's coming in Seattle in 2019 and beyond in terms of how the changes in the city are going to impact the work that you're doing. Sure. So certainly we are seeing, and, and in fact, we're looking at what um, <clears throat> the, the role and benefit and work of the library will be in the future. But I think for Seattle in particular, some of the things that are coming are um, an influx of people. We are going to continue to get people here who bring differing views and ideas of what a city should be and how Seattle itself should be. People come here because they have some idea of what it will offer them or what it will be. And it will be interesting to see how we live up to that idea or um, step back from it, because we do have natives who are here and remember Seattle from days of long ago. So it'll be interesting to see that coming. Um, I think the other thing is how people learn is going to change. There's going to be a great deal of self-directed learning and mm. how people develop the skills and talents to do that work. And then what becomes the role of educational institutions or educational support institutions such as a library to help address that. And then um, 
where does technology intersect with all of that? So we're we're on the cusp of quite a bit. And that's not even to speak to all of the great industry that's in this area um, that's coming here and with it bringing lots of people to the area. So it's it's pretty cool. Well, it sounds like you have a positive spin on everything right now. You're Most feeling, days. Feeling, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as long as, the, uh, as long as the Seahawks keep winning, I guess. You know. You, you probably have what? Are, uh, what would he, is there a pro team associated with Mississippi that, that would have been the Cowboys or the Saints? Or no, we, for those of us who live in Mississippi, we tend to gravitate to New Orleans because okay. uh, I could leave my parents to be in downtown New Orleans in three hours. Mm-hmm. And so going to the Mardi Gras at the end of the day was never a question. So we do um, cling to the New Orleans Saints. For those in the upper half of the state, northern part of the state, they... Um, Memphis has a team, and so we look to that. So that's mm-hmm. about what we do. Mm-hmm. But we have some really strong colleges there. And oh, yeah. Really, yeah. I mean, Alabama, right? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. next door. Yeah. You uh, guys you, have Ole Miss, right? We have Ole Miss. We have Mississippi State. And we have uh, several historically uh, black colleges and universities that are there as well. What's the big one that, that folks uh, might know? Uh, has HBCU, Black College. What's or, the big one there in, in that region that folks might know from football? Is there... Right, for historically yeah. black. Um, so there are two, Alcorn. And oh, that's, that's where, Steve McNair, right? Oh, Steve yeah, yeah. McNair. Yeah. And that's where I went to college. I did not graduate from there, but that's where I went to college. And my, um, some of my parents and grandparents went there. Uh, then there's Jackson State, which is mm-hmm. where Walter Payton went. Mm-hmm. Um, I am an Alconite on paper anyway, so mm. I, I tend to bleed more purple and gold than okay. I do blue and white. Okay. So, yeah, okay. those are two of the institutions. There. Yeah, so, yeah. well, you hopefully have adopted the Seahawks a little bit. Like I do, I do. I had a funny um, instance. We When we were right in the, the cusp of the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, we were showing the games at the library. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and so fun. We did it. Uh, we're not a shushing library. We closed mm-hmm. those doors and let them scream all they mm-hmm. wanted. And it was just really great. And what was the beauty of it is that we had um, people who just did not have financial access to go to the game. But we also had people who didn't want to watch it in a bar. They wanted to bring their kids mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And we had many of our daily readers. Those are our insecurely housed. We call them daily readers to give them a little bit of dignity as opposed to homeless. Uh, but we had our daily readers all sitting beside each other and cheering for the game. Mm-hmm. And so to get in the spirit, we uh, staff were encouraged to wear their Seahawks mm-hmm. or any professional team's paraphernalia. And I didn't have any. So I had to go to the pro shop or some mm-hmm. shop to try to find something. That was a wake-up call for me because I had never bought any paraphernalia and I had no idea that it cost as it's much expensive. as it does. Yes. But I went in the pro shop and I knew that there was no one on the Seahawks from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So I then did the best and looked through the roster to try to find a player who had gone to a school in Mississippi, at least to try and buy their number. Well, I was totally out of my element. I didn't know how you shop in a pro shop. I just assumed that, like a library, all of the numbers were in order. And you just go look <laughs> no. for the number. No. And uh, the person said, uh, may I help you? And I said, well, I'm looking for uh, the jersey of a of a one of the players for the Seahawks. And I said, the number, I will not reveal. He said, uh, what is the number? And I said, this, I, well, I said, this is his number. And he said, who is that? <laughs> so it was obvious that uh, being, from, being playing for a team from Mississippi still didn't rank very high. Yeah. 
Oh, however, they did have the jersey. So okay. I was very excited well, to do that. If they had the jersey, I'm trying to think who was it Browner? Was it, uh, was it I don't know. So it was it was good to support the team. Yeah. I, I did not end up buying it because it was uh, still too costly for very me. Expensive. I had no idea, so I went to our local Macy's and found a regular suit. Like a t shirt or something. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And the great thing about it is I can wear it for the uh, Sounders, I can wear it for the Mariners. Mm -hmm. I I love a city that embraces this team that all of them wear the same. Same color. I mean, the Sounders <laughs> fan base is amazing here. I've been to one Sounders game. I absolutely enjoyed myself. Do you run those on the sh on the screen? Or? We have not done that. One of our challenges when in doing that is that oftentimes the games are outside of our open hours, and so we can't do that. And we don't um, do it every day. We do it when they are in the playoffs and that type Only of thing. Only in that time. So, yeah, yeah it's, that makes it's, sense. It's, it's a big challenge or mm -hmm. a big operation to bring it on. Agreed. Understood. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exciting. Um, it is. We like to end every show with a segment that we call If You Care About, You Should. Okay. Fill in those blanks for me. Um, well, I was thinking about that because I did get the heads up on that, and I was I have two. That's the fine. first one is if you care about uh, happiness, then live your life. Then you should live your life. What do you mean by that? If you really want to be happy, and happiness starts with you, then live your life. Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. So that's my first one. The second one is a little bit more self-serving. If you care about yourself, then you should take vacation. Okay. So, <laughs> those are <laughs> and those two overlap, don't they? They do. They do. I think um, you seem like you work pretty hard. You take vacation. I try to, but it's not as easy as you might oh, think. Someone's and got to follow his own advice. So I, that, that's what made me think of it. It really was. I was like, and the one with happiness led to the one about vacation, and I've I've committed to doing that this year. Good for you. It's early, so I'm hopeful. Yeah, I'll be. We'll take our honeymoon this year. Oh, my, good. My wife and I. So we're, we're very excited. I hear Missouri's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I don't know it for certain, but I was talking to someone, and he really was big on Missouri. So Marcellus Turner, thank uh, you so much for being on It was my true pleasure. My awesome. true pleasure that was marcellus turner give him some support check out www.friendsofspl.org friends of the seattle public library make a donation become a member keep them going and support all the great work that they do all music today by the subcons dope opening poetry sample by anthony mcpherson sound by naboo and yours truly I am also your host and producer. My name is Ian Martinez, and UpZones is a Cascadia Underground production. My favorite. See you next week. <laughs>